0: Welcome to Unsilent with your hosts, Dave and Brian. This is not another current events podcast. We're digging deeper, diagnosing, and discussing what's really going on today, how we got here, and providing observations for future generations. Welcome to Unsilent. We're Brian and Dave. We're hoping you let us know where you think we got it right and where we completely missed the point which you can do by visiting us at unsilentpodcast.com. So let's get into it. What's on your mind today, Brian? Well, one of the things we've been talking about
1: is institutions and how institutions are crumbling and how institutions are driving things and, and, but also falling apart. And I thought it would be interesting to explain to Kenny G um, the, the specific institutions it seems like are driving things more than others. Uh, there seems like there's a handful. Um, and for those of you who are not sure who Kenny G is, Kenny G is a person who will be middle-aged probably around the year 2090. Uh, could be one of my grandkids, you know, my, uh, or, or great-grandkids, who knows, you know, depending on how the, the years land. But somebody born around the year 2040, so I guess it'd be more like a great-grandkid for me. Um, and will be an adult around the year 2090. When we say Kenny G, that's who we're talking about, is somebody who is uh, living in that era. Uh, So getting back to our institutions that we're talking about today, um, it seems like there's a handful and the list I have is, you know, Eisenhower's military industrial complex, which now we would also include intelligence, I guess, like CIA kind of stuff. Yep. Um, Media, newspapers, uh, social media kind of stuff. Um, Hollywood and, you know, movie production, television, that kind of stuff. Academia, higher education specifically and wall street. And, you know, we're talking like, you know, BlackRock and their ESG stuff, all that kind of stuff. Right. Does that feel like the, the list to you? Or, I mean, there, there's infinite number of people driving things. There's no question, but it feels like that's kind of the big
0: ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, as a, as a general sort of top level uh, levers of society. Those are, those are the pretty big ones. I think, I think that that is the vast majority as a matter of fact.
1: So let's just let's just take them one at a time real quick and we can take as much of a little time as you want on this stuff, Dave, but take us through like how would you explain to Kenny G what we mean when we say the military industrial complex or the intelligence complex or the combination of the two are
0: driving things. Like what, what do we mean by that? Well, first of all, I mean I think you have to to to. Uh, recognize about uh, foreign affairs and, and human nature, etc., that war has been a constant companion to the human race throughout all of history. Uh, there's never yeah. been a time, no matter uh, how enlightened we think we are, that uh, wars and uh, aggression against one's neighbors to take what they've got or defend our honor or whatever it happens to be, has uh, not been with us. And so uh, the military industrial complexes, as Eisenhower talked about it uh, in particular, and as we've sort of seen it evolve, is the business of of warfare and intelligence and foreign affairs and um, international strife, if you will. That's big business because uh, some of the biggest companies in the world um, – right now, some of the biggest companies in the world, uh, like Lockheed Martin, is a, is a massive company. They produce incredibly yeah. expensive products, and therefore, uh, those that – I think one of the things that Eisenhower was warning about was this idea that um, these, these companies want to sell their stuff, and therefore – which every company does, and therefore uh, conditions which are conducive to selling implements of war, which cost millions, billions, uh, tens of billions of dollars. I mean, an, an aircraft yeah. carrier I looked at the other day was like a, a one of our, our current aircraft carriers was like 12 or 13 billion dollars for one product. I mean, it's a massive product, one. Um, <laughs> but just for one, one, 12 billion dollars. Not too many people in the world can afford that, even the rich guys. So. So the military-industrial complex uh, idea is that um, – and, and, of course, who buys those? It's countries that buy those. Uh, you and I right. don't buy uh, weapons of war. Regardless of what people in the gun control debate would talk about, that's another topic altogether. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. and therefore there is, there is this sort of, uh, what, what some people would call an unholy alliance between governments and major defense contractors and major, uh, players, uh, because it drives, uh, and the only place that you get that, that money is tax dollars. And so therefore there's, uh, a, an incentive, a financial incentive for um uh, lots of people to see conflict happen in the world there's there is in addition yeah. to the legitimate players the ones that are that are arming what well what we might call the legitimate players the ones that are supplying for instance the United States military but you know you can question that as well there are arms contractors arms dealing is a very big business globally because there's lots of wars going on that need right. to be supplied and so major and, dollars and this- yeah and this feels like one of those things that I hope Kenny G's
1: generation generation gamma hence the name Kenny G right that is what we're calling it now I I hope this is one of the things kind of like big pharma that that we figure out a new incentive structure for these these industries that really benefit in massive amounts financially when outcomes that are not great for mankind are achieved. Right, right. <laughs> the, the more warheads you sell, the more money they make, the more their stock is worth, the more they have lobbyists who dictate how many wars are made. <laughs> right, right.
0: I, and, I would hope with, that. You know,
1: big, yeah. And with Big Pharma, the more ailments we have, the more medicines we need, the more medicines we sell, the more lobbyists we can afford to lobby government to buy more medicines, which leads to finding more ailments
0: <laughs> or some would say
1: creating more ailments. Creating ailments. more,
0: Yeah, possibly. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I mean, no, it's just like through food, you know, bad food intake or, you know, poor diet or whatever, right. it, whatever. I don't want to get sidetracked. But, but point is, I hope by Kenny G's generation, they've really figured out these handful of industries. The military stuff is one of them where it seems like the incentive structure is
0: exactly 180 degrees from what we would want. I would hope so. But in, in uh, where I sit here in 2023 and looking at the history of humanity, uh, I kind of doubt it, honestly, because you know yeah. so what, what, what do governments exist to do? Governments exist to uh, protect the citizens, to uh, give them, uh, some kind of safety and security, and so there. I mean, the, the the first reason that two or three people got together is there's bad people over there. Brian, why don't you and I form a, a form a government? And we'll protect ourselves from yeah. from these guys over here. So, uh, the you know the basic reason for governments existing in the first place is essentially military. So the the question about whether we can come up with an incentive structure that doesn't do that, that, you know, one, this gets a little bit sci-fi-ish, but, uh, you know, it seems to me that the only thing that could really cause that to happen, knowing what human nature is, is perhaps conquering space, you know, perhaps, you know, uh, but, you know, that gets into some really speculative territory. So um, I I hope KFG's over that, but I kind of doubt it. Curious, and I, I honestly don't know this. Uh, you're
1: you're a history guy. You would you would know this kind of thing. Do other countries, communist countries, socialist countries, do they do they socialize their military armaments, or, or does, does Russia and Cuba and whatever do they have
0: private weapons manufacturers like we do? I don't I don't know. Well, I mean, most countries buy them from folks like us and France and, and, you okay. know, major arms dealers. I mean, we're, we're the big arms dealers of the world. So most countries buy them from us. France is a big arms, arms, uh, um, uh, industry. But okay. if you look at those other ones, like, you know, the, the Russians, the Soviets, the Chinese, uh, there are no longer Soviets, but the Russians now, yeah. uh, all of them had a huge amount of their budget and or have. Currently, a large amount of their budget dedicated to to that building those things. And but, is, you know, it, so but yes. is, it,
1: is it a government owned entity that builds them, or is it a privately owned company that the government buys them from, like we do?
0: Well, in in places like Russia in the past, well, I mean, Russia right now, private and government are basically the same thing under one guy. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. And in China, absolutely, it's, China. it's the yeah. Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so, the, but there are, if you go to Westernized countries like France, you're going to have—I can't remember the name of the company, but but most of the French ones, as, as an example of another large arms dealing country, are private industry that has Understood. one client, and that's the government.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like China and Russia, they're they're socialized, meaning on paper, they say that they're private company, but they're really owned by the government. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. All right. So it's not like here. Well, And the reason I'm asking, I find it interesting that of all the things in my lifetime I've heard that should should be socialized, I've never heard arms building to be one of those things. And it kind of is one of the things that I could make a pretty good case that that should be a thing that would be government- not not privatized um, interesting that I'd never ever had this thought before, and I've never heard somebody talk about the government taking over arms manufacturing, but that yeah. that kind of would make sense to me
0: well it, it would be and it would be logical and it also sort of almost already is to a certain extent because you know f sixteens built by uh, by lockheed uh, are they don't have a lot of people to sell that to. In the United States, yeah. they have one client, it's the government, or in the United States. I mean, so the military industrial complex in the United States, as an example, I think there's two reasons it's not government controlled. One of them is because it gives them more leeway to do stuff that would come under scrutiny if it's if it's government controlled. Right, so therefore, right. again, the money mode, you always got to look at, you know, follow the money, right? And secondarily, yeah, yeah. it's sold to other countries there's you know a lot of our stuff is sold very widely we just made a deal in this Which, country again, for-
1: goes back to me saying this is like if we had less of that that
0: might not be a terrible thing <laughs> right right assuming <laughs> assuming then you don't have somebody rushing in to fill the void that's even worse than our own military industrial complex yeah that's true i guess so all right I, I i got
1: you all right so the next one on and again if you have others dave of course chime in with them but uh, the the next one on my list is the media um Media is interesting because in in again in my lifetime, media up until I don't know twenty fifteen around there, uh, twenty twelve maybe twenty oh eight maybe somewhere in that range. though, um, it it was perceived that the media was was a was by and large calling balls and strikes to the best of their ability. Right. Yes, they're humans. Yes, they have human emotions. Yes, they have biases like we all do, but. Walter Cronkite and Tom Brokaw were guys that would put that stuff aside to the best of their ability and call balls and strikes. Right now, that is not the way it is. You either subscribe to a media source, um, or you you subscribe to media sources that that deliver the kind of news you want. Is predominantly right. how I would describe it being done. And and it's, and there's not much room for the middle guy.
0: <laughs> right,
1: you're either on this team or that team. And there's and and finding truth is a exercise now where before it just <laughs> felt like it was just laid upon us. Like the newspaper right. was delivered and we just woke up and went to our stoop and then the truth was there. And right. and now it's
0: not that way. Is that, am I saying that right? You think? No, that that's absolutely right. I mean, so we've become, uh, we've become, become hyper-tribalistic and as a, as a result of becoming hyper-tribalistic those that, that deliver what we want, deliver the product. I mean, you know, it's just the same thing with the military industrial complex. You have people delivering what you want for, to, to satisfy your needs for one of two things, either money or power, one of the, one of those two. Yeah. And so, you know, in some media, there's, there's certain media that is not uh, very profitable, but they still serve a demographic, uh, because they believe that it reinforces their cultural power. So cultural power right. and money are both things that people want. And as a result of that, you've got these, these different streams of media. And I, and I would propose too <clears throat> that that comes. That, that, that shift, that change has really come from another one we're going to talk about, which is academia, because a lot of the folks that have come out of the journalism schools came with certain biases that said that we need to reform society. We don't, it's, we're not out, you know, interviewing people and reporting, but we need to reform society to our higher standards. And therefore media has changed and other media as a result has changed in response to it. I I, I agree that media has changed from an entity that now, again, there's
1: exceptions to everything. I'm not saying every single person in media does this. So like whoever's listening, who's going to like say, that's not how it is. I, I, okay. I'm not, I'm speaking in general terms here. Right. Right. Um, before I, I think that media perceived itself as an entity whose job it was to report what is right. And now by and large, I would say media sees themselves as people who should, um, Determine what is right by by putting certain spins, certain slants, certain perspectives, omitting others like in again, we're not a topical news show, but you can't help. I I hope that in the year 2090, this is still pointed out in journalism school as an absolute example of what not to do. And that is the New York Times posting and and reporting on how Israel blew up a hospital, which was. And again, when they first reported it, maybe they didn't know because whatever. Um, but within a couple of days, everybody kind of knew. Right. And, and they still reported that Israel had blown up this hospital in Gaza, which is not how it happened. It was a Hamas right. rocket that did it, misfired. They just left it up. And yeah. then when they were outed, they said, oh, well, our source was bad. Well, their source was one of the <laughs> – what's Hamas, you know? It was terrorist, so, yeah. Po- point is, like, I cannot imagine that happening in 1982 with with Dan Brokaw – or Dan Rather. I just – I can't right. – I that would be,
0: he would have been fired. Yeah. Yeah. It's changed quite a bit because the, the, the values have changed. And we've talked about this. We've talked about values in the past, the values have changed. The values have been in, in media, even at the time of the founding was there to shine a light and to hold powerful people accountable. But now media has, has really shifted in a lot of ways to hold powerful people. We don't like accountable. And and right. that whole narrative of I, I, I really think to a lot of it, it's this whole narrative of a sort of a classist society where you've got oppressed and oppressors and and yeah. we are as media, we're gonna hold those that we consider to be powerful oppressors accountable, even if the facts don't back that up. Right.
1: Yeah, and, it, and one of the things that for me going through this experience where I mean if 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 Tom Brokaw said a thing, I just believed it. Now again, you'd yeah. figure, okay, eight percent of the time, three percent of the time, he's going to get it wrong because he's human and he has yeah. he's people out gathering information. They get the wrong they get the wrong facts sometimes. But his batting average was perceived to be like really really high. Right. I don't I don't have that confidence at all anymore. Nobody even does. with new sources I like I don't have that yeah. confidence at all. Right. Um, and I, and part, so part of me goes and goes, well, was Tom broke up full of shit the whole time too? <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or maybe not entirely, but, but are, are we just more aware of this now because we become tribalistic or has it changed? And I, I think it's both, but yeah. probably, what do you think? I think it's changed more as if, as in the people doing the reporting have changed. I also think we're more aware of things because of technology and stuff like that, but do you think I have that right, or do you think it's like half we're just more aware that Tom Brokaw was really had a a a a story to tell that was not that he had to find the facts to support that versus he believed that he was just there to report the news?
0: No, I, I think it. I think both of those things have changed, and and I think some of it is because media has has lost the centralized power we had when I was growing up. It was ABC, CBS, and NBC, and you turn you tuned into one of the huntley Brinkley, or Tom Brokaw, or whoever it happened to be—and yeah. and their their goal was to be the the. The nation's spokespeople, their goal was to to be viewed by every. I mean, they had personal motivations, just as we all do, but their motivation was to be seen as the as the uh, uh, unbiased arbiters of what's really happening, of shining truth. Or, or shining light of truth, wherever it happens to be, Republican or Democrat, didn't, didn't really matter in those days so much. Uh, even if they did have their own biases, and we also didn't know their biases either. Whatever biases they did yeah. have, we weren't really aware of those, and that suited what they wanted to be. Now, <clears throat> they, there's no, there's no, um, you know, hesitancy for somebody to know their biases. However, all their biases on whatever side are usually positioned to be right down the middle. They're not biases. This is the truth, and yeah. they're not biases. And so, therefore, now, it's really about the keepers of the truth in these individual little tribalistic uh, you know, enclaves. And that's all right. that we listen to, and we want to keep those people happy. And that's really what – that's the product that's being sold now.
1: Yeah. What, I, what I've um, found interesting to learn over the last – well – 10, 15 years again, I guess, um, that back when the country was founded, it was like it is now. It was very – the Federalist was a paper that supported uh, a big government. And then there was an opposing view by Thomas Jefferson or whoever it was. I don't know. It was the whoever the, uh, the opposing people <clears throat> were that – what was the, the name of the, the paper? The you, Anti-Federalists.
0: You know? So we had the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. And they wrote back and forth. Yeah, yeah.
1: They wrote back – yeah, they basically wrote articles every day just like debating each other in print. Right. And, and they were very polarized. And, and what's fascinating for me is a person, as a person who's grown up with the Tom Brokaws and the Walter Cronkites and Dan Rathers, who were presumably calling balls and strikes. That's a recent phenomenon. That is not the history of our country. Right. That's only been the
0: case since about 1950 or so. I, I would say the turning point <clears throat> here. Here's where I think the real, I mean, yes, it was gradual, but I would say the real turning point you could pin on the Nixon Kennedy debates, uh, yeah. in, in the early, what, I, what was it, 1960, whenever it was, it was like 1960 or 61. How like that. Yeah. When there was typically up to that time, presidential debates were listened to on the radio. This was the first televised debate. And that's when it become, le- became less about the word and more about the presentation of the feeling because those that listened to Nixon in those debates on the radio thought that he won. Those that watched it on TV saw Nixon kind of sweating and getting a little bit of fidgety and and they thought Kennedy won. And so from that point onward, it became less about what the founders, what the founders experienced was Rhetoric back and forth. It was the anti-federalists made a point. The federalists made a point. They would use some flower language. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's always been this accusatory thing of, well, you're just a buffoon for thinking this, Thomas Jefferson. And well, oh, right. you know, Alexander Hamilton, what do you, you know, so there was always that. Yeah but it really became more of an emotional thing when tv started and that became a hyper emotional thing when most people started getting their news from social media and at that point right. it became about eyeballs eyeballs and clicks yeah. because clicks. that's where yeah. you get money and that's where you get power yeah. is eyeballs and clicks so the, the 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 mechanics of how the
1: journalism industry worked changed from a subscription based where you had three newspapers in every town, and a th- they had a third, a third, a third, or whatever it was. But everybody got a newspaper, and everybody read the same news to a clickbait model, yep. where whoever had the most outlandish headline that got the most clicks, they would make the money, and the other their competitors would not. And so the outlandish clicks, cu- coupled with um, the new the new journalists who feels like they have a, a their purpose is to drive society in a direction rather than reporting on the direction society is going. Um, and, and, you know, other things, it, it, just the model has, has shifted. And, and well, so, the third thing being um, people who, who report some things more fervently than others, I guess I'll say, <laughs> right. depending on whether or not it fits the story they want to tell.
0: Well, and a lot of it too, I would tie to another social phenomenon. And that is, I would say that the reporters and the the presenters have become the preachers. So, yeah. you know, we, we've had a general decrease in the, in, in the perception of society of religion being a source of ultimate principle and ultimate truth. Uh, that's been right. the majority of, 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 the, the time the country has, has existed. That was the case. That has decreased steadily over time. And so therefore we needed new preachers. We needed new prophets. We needed new, uh, people yeah. gurus and sages to sit on a hill well who are those to be those have become the most popular best looking most well-spoken uh, people on tv and on social media and on videos <clears throat> they have taken the place of the the preachers of the past they are the current preachers and prophets of today right no that makes total sense
1: so when we talk about the values changing you know that's a, that's a pretty common theme for that. I, I think the values changing is what we, what you and I are witnessing, and, and yes. the the struggles, in my opinion, come down entirely to different sets of values. So the values that yes. change in media or, or journalism is, um, people used to think that their job was to report on what happened. Now they feel like their job is to drive a narrative and drive outcomes and drive beliefs and drive. Values and we should value this thing now that we didn't used to value, and we should value this thing less that we used to value a lot. The preachers yes. that you're talking about—that's yeah. a shift in how they see themselves. It's even a shift in how the consumer sees them. Yes, uh, you know, there's there's people on you know uh, prime time news, cable news channels now that are that are looked to. People can't wait to get their opinions because then they will get their opinion after right. that. Yep. And that is different, that the values of that role are different now, where it used to be they called balls and strikes. Now they determine the game to be played.
0: Yeah. And, and again, it, it, it's really back to that that model of where do you get your morality from? Where do you get your worldview from? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you – there's, I read a study. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but there was a study that taught up to kids coming out of kids people coming out of journalism school. And why did you go to journalism school? What do you want, want to accomplish? I want to change the world. Mm-mm. Journalists right. didn't used to change the world. They tell no. you how the, how the world is. But now they want to change yeah. the world. The, that used to be the thing that people coming out of, out of seminaries and, and out, of, out of religious training, they wanted to change the world. And so now yeah. therefore, whether it's a, and this sort of goes to the other side of media, the, like the late night comic, <clears throat> who's going to uh, make jokes and kind of tell you how you need to think through humor, whether it's right. so it's it's the humorists, it's the uh, quote unquote reporters choosing what to report and what not to report, choosing that this story is not worthy of our goal, which is to change the world in a certain way. <clears throat> right and it's also come to a point where we the the consumer is less the driver and more the recipient of the of the change that needs to happen we need to change that's yeah. what they think their goal what their objective is
1: yeah i think i think you, know, you brought up nixon i think that one of the, the easiest ways to illustrate what we're talking about is the difference in reporting watergate which yeah. arguably you know up to that point maybe the biggest scandal in the white house Uh, But I would also say there's probably big scandals that we just didn't have the technology to stay up on. Right. right. Uh, Again, uh, Warren Harding was known as having a very corrupt uh, cabinet and a very corrupt uh, uh, staff. But the technology was not such that or or whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the how the person voted in the newsroom when Watergate happened. They reported because it was a big story and it was corruption and it was it was wrong. Right. And now. Fast forward to 2023, at this very moment, we have a president who's accused of some pretty, pretty bad things as far as like yeah. literally selling stuff to other governments that don't like us very much. Yeah. And I'm not saying he did or didn't do it. I, I, that That is not relevant to this point. Right. What is relevant is the people who are in his camp are have zero interest in reporting on this. and people who are right. not in his camp have a lot of interest in reporting that. Right. <clears throat> that is a great illustration, I think, of the difference you and I are talking about. Again, going back to, I can't imagine Tom Brokaw not wanting to cover the story because he didn't like how it would look if his guy in the White House got outed. That's a change in values. They they want the narrative. They want the story. They want their team to win more than they want to hold powerful people accountable. And that was always the purpose of the media when I grew up was we're here to hold powerful people accountable. And report what was happening. Yes, we're going to talk about the elk that crossed the road and that's, you know, whatever. And it looked like a Christmas story or whatever because it was snowy. They report Monday and stuff like that. Right. But deep down, though, they were there to hold big entities accountable so that little people weren't hurt. And now it's
0: okay that people get hurt as long as it's their, their guy doing the hurting. Well, it, and it's also a change in the consumer because we're not interested necessarily in both sides of the story. I mean, most of the right. media that's propagated. I, I mean, I, I try to listen to um a a variety of you know ideologies i mean i spend more time on my own ideology but but i listen to a variety of ideologies because i want to get the other side of the story as paul harvey said the rest of the story i want to i want to get an opposing viewpoint i mean what you and i say here in in our podcast is tell us where we got it wrong because we want to hear uh opposing viewpoints to know whether or not we're just uh you know, following along a tribal narrative or whether this is actually objective fact. So, but the part of the problem today is, especially on the extremes of all the different ideologies, there is absolutely no interest in even knowing what the objective fact is or what the, the opposing facts are because we just want to be part of this group that thinks in a certain monocultural way. And, and this right. is, this is not just one side or the other. This is across the board. And so there's been a change. Yes. In those that are delivering the news and those that are, are speaking to us, what they think our morality should be in, in the media. And there's also a change in us that we want to be part of a tribe and we want that tribe to succeed. And therefore we won't consider news that doesn't back up what we think. So it's, it's right. both ways, really. It's both ways. Yeah,
1: and and uh, final point we got to move on. I, but final point that just occurred to me: uh, the reason that that's happened, or part of the reason that's happening, is because over time the media has done a great job of convincing us that the other tribe is evil. The other right. tribe means the end of our democracy, which is a phrase I just <laughs> want to throw up every time I hear. But and both sides do this. Sure, um, that the other team, if they get their way, it's the end of our. It's the end of our civilization as we know it. And therefore, we our tribe must win, which which can then then you know green lights everything that we the media does after that all, all those things after. we just spent ten minutes talking about. Yep. All right. So moving on to a, a similar one, a little bit different though. Hollywood. Um, how would you explain to Kenny G what, how what the difference in Hollywood? I mean, I, again, off the top of my head, watch an Audie Murphy movie from nineteen forty eight, and watch a watch a war movie or something like that. You know now. Uh,
0: my, just unbelievably different right well there's an old phrase that uh that is now used in two different ways art imitates life and life has now become something that imitates art so there's this yeah. ideal and, and i think some of it a, a lot of it uh stems from um as we become a more visual society as we just talked about as we become a more um uh, stimulated society, uh, we we look for uh, expressions of that in our entertainment that fit our need to be stimulated in certain ways. So you know, if you if you take a look at uh, my my ancient dad, who's ninety five years old, watches stuff from the nineteen eighties, and the problems that they have to solve in the nineteen eighties are pretty simple. solve pretty simple yeah. problems. The problems Ma- that Ma- they Ma- had that to solve, awesome, man. oh yeah, <laughs> easy absolutely. problems to solve. <laughs> exactly the the problems that they had to solve when TV first came around in the 1950s and movies were usually pretty simple problems to solve. You've got an hour to figure out why, you know, Marsha got, you know, uh, got a bad grade in school or or whatever it happens to be right. on the Brady Bunch. Um, now, however, we've got this sort of utopian ideal uh, where we create entertainment that presents that ideal. Uh, and uh, which is an unrealistic ideal in, in regardless. I mean, you know, wh- whatever it happens to be, it's an unrealistic ideal. And so it's, it's gone from, uh, art imitating life, <clears throat> which is a lot of what you found in the, in the early expressions of that, to now life wanting to imitate art. We've got people that want to dress like, uh, gangsters that, whether yeah. it's their clothes they wear or whether it's the, I don't know if you and I were talking about this or somebody else, but the, the idea of everybody says, well, you're the OG podcaster. Well, what's OG? Yeah. Means? It's original gangster. Yeah. So you are really original aspiring gangster, to yeah. be a gangster. Is that really what you're telling me? You're, you know, um, yeah. So it's, it's become this sort of caricature of life instead of actually life itself. And it drives then, uh, unhealthy. A lot of our, our, our movies, et cetera, drive unhealthy trends into society as a result of that. And they're unhealthy because they're not realistic. So that's a, that's a significant difference.
1: Yeah. I, I, uh, I, again, movies, you know, in Hollywood and stuff, just watching, Audie Murphy is just the the example that comes to mind because he literally a World War II hero. I think the right. most decorated World War II World War II hero of all. I think if I if I get that correctly, came back home, went to Hollywood. He's a good looking guy. Had every the, the the society had every reason for him to be successful, and he was in I don't know dozens of movies. Yeah, uh, whether it's Cowboys Indians movies or World War II movies, where he he was always the hero. Got it? Okay, um, but. It would have been unthinkable to do a movie in 1949, 1952, where the Indians won. Right, <laughs> that, right, would, right. that would have been unthinkable. Uh, and, and then, and then, like when I was growing up, it, you know, you had the like dances with wolves, and like yep. it was calling, it was calling out things that rightfully were were not as right. quaint and as neat as we liked it in 1949 and 1951. Right. And now it's gone full pendulum the other direction where. You, you could not make a movie now like Audie Murphy starred in, no. in 1950. There's just, no. it, it, would, it would not get made because no. we could, <laughs> straight white dudes and frankly, America <laughs> cannot be seen as the hero to that extent anymore because right. you, you have to point out a certain number of flaws. Otherwise, it's just not going to get made. The movie just will not get made. Well, to a great
0: extent, we find in, in entertainment, there is no real true hero. You know, we have, so you think about the, the old John Wayne movies. There was the, the, the bad guys, uh, wore the black hats and the white yeah. guys didn't wear, so you've, you've got the, and you could tell because the the black cat guys had these the, the little handlebar me- you know so you had you had yeah, very yeah. clear Mortimer un- hand the black hat and the curly <laughs>
1: mustache and then yes, the, exactly. and the, the white hat had the the cool name like Chet or something
0: like that right exactly <laughs> well in, and in all of those they they reinforced values that the society held that were like honor and And, uh, and, uh, straightforwardness and duty. Right. So, like, the one of the old shows from even before I went, when I was a young, young kid was the rifleman. And in that show, he, the, there was a moralistic component to that show. Well, there's still moralistic components to things now, but the moralistic components now to a lot of the, the media, a lot of the entertainment media is that there is no absolute morality. There is no truly right and wrong. So we have to see how complicated the, the villain is and to see why, you know, uh, this villain became this evil person. So we have, we have the backstory and there's a certain amount of reality in that, of course, but the, the, the point of movies was always, or the point of entertainment was often to call us to, to inspire us, to call us to something better, to call us to something higher or more noble, not always, you know, back to Shakespeare, yeah. Shakespeare did plenty of things, there, you know, Shakespearean tragedies, et cetera. Um, but now it's it's really to call us to ambiguity and to uh and to what society has shifted to in terms of its its moral compass, which is uh yeah. not very and, yeah. It feels like
1: everyone has to find the nuanced, clever thing. It can't just be good guys and bad guys. That's right. not and and listen, I'm not saying that that I agree that things are as cut and dry as they as the movies right. in nineteen fifty one made them. Of course right. they're not. They were almost cartoonish in how simple they right. were. I'm just illustrating the 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 dramatic change like it's 180 right. degrees movies that we make now could not be made then because you couldn't portray us as a nation as a people as a society as being that bad i don't yeah. i don't know what else i don't there's a ton of adjectives i use there. yeah uh and now you could not make one where we're where, where that good um, right they just that's a very very big shift all right yes. moving on Uh, academia there's no question Uh, this one this one is uh, now to be clear I'm a guy who's never gone to college I mean I've been on a college campus as a visitor that's it I've never been (laughs) one hour in a college campus as a student not one hour so easy for me to poke fun at this and and uh, um, but so you have a lot more experience with this than I do but um, kind of along the same lines uh, academia feels like it's its its purpose now is to uh, root out all the things that we thought were good and expose them as being bad. And I mean, when I say all, I'm not I'm not generalizing. I mean all. I'm literally saying yeah. like all the things that we thought were good. Their job is to expose that all those things are not good. And and I'm sure there's some exceptions. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm sure, again. I'm sure there are some. I'm not. I, but but. Overwhelmingly, their purpose is to root out all and and teach us that the things we thought were good are were really bad. Is that is that a fair way to put it?
0: Yeah, and I and I think when when we talk about when we talk about uh, higher education in particular, we've got to kind of do a little bit of segmentation because there's part of higher education. There's like the STEM, uh, you know, the science, technology, um, engineering, and math. There there are technical disciplines that exist still to do the technical things. But the people yeah. that govern the, the social, the societal part of of the college campus these days are the people that in the 1960s we would have called the radicals, the, 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 right. the people the, that have – that want to completely upend the way that society uh, actually works. In, in fact, this is, this is really where a lot of the other things that we're talking about have their genesis in, in the yeah. – uh, the fourth the, turning and all that stuff. Yes, exactly. It's the, it's the, the folks that in the, in the college atmosphere have been trained that society should be a certain way that it is not. And therefore it's their job to wherever they go, whether it's into, into finance or into sociology or into whatever to change society and make it better. So as opposed to being just trained for to a great extent, colleges in the past, uh, were mostly about Getting a better job, getting a good career going, and there still is a, a fair amount of that in the in the technical disciplines, but in the non technical disciplines and the over the overriding kind of umbrella to all of the disciplines is this idea that there is this higher knowledge, higher learning. There's there's a principle also called the Dunning Kruger principle, which is this idea yeah. if, you, if you know something in one area, you're automatically brilliant in all areas. That's sort of reinforced in the in the college atmosphere, so that that you can churn out a bunch of activists that are going to change the uh, change societal structure and make it more fair, more just, more more um, more righteous, essentially, according to the right. new righteousness. And a lot of that I would propose comes from the the efforts of those that want to recast society in this kind of <clears throat> oppressor oppressed kind of dichotomy. Yeah. That there's these two things. And if you're either in this category, in this category, and we're going to oppose the oppressors, and that's what yeah. so we find the college campuses. I,
1: I, I always think of I I, I think it was Galileo, Galileo. It might have been Copernicus. I think it was Galileo, who who was who they thought was uh, should be locked up because he thought that this the Earth would run the Sun. That was yeah. Galileo, right? Uh, okay, Cap- yeah. well, Copernicus. Yeah. So I always think about Galileo in the in this stuff because the the the. Um, there was no doubt people in you know late 40s, like again we're talking about that era that Aud- Audie Murphy era. There was no doubt people in that in that era who were staunch in their beliefs and they were absolutely wrong about things. There's yeah. no question about that. And along come these radicals in the fifties and sixties and seventies and whatever and expose that stuff and and embarrass them in cases where they flat out had it wrong. And there's no question that, that happened on some things. No, right. I, I believe that hundred percent. Just like Galileo did to sure. the establishment back in seventeen or. Thirteen or whatever year he was alive, um, but the the thing that they they miss, I think, is they become the establishment. Yes. The radicals have now become the establishment, and they will be outed as the people who are so staunch in their beliefs and absolutely have things wrong because they take things too far in their right. direction, right? And they lose objectivity, and they get they get focused on the the ideal outcomes and the ideal perceptions, and again, they they get focused on the, on the on the positions they want to establish, not what what is, right, and and that leads people down the wrong path every time. Whether it's Galileo and his establishment, whether it's the the people in 1968 outing the establishment that was formed in 1940 1950, or it'll be this era outing academia that has their ideas wrong. It's it's the same, but but these all throughout history, whoever comes to have the power or influence or whatever you want to call it, it is generally the categories those two ways, I guess. Yes. Once that is established, they, they want to change everything up to lead to this moment. And then they want to freeze in this moment in time and they don't want, they won't allow no deviation. And it doesn't matter. This is not a left or right thing. This is a human thing. And this is the part that I think that people miss today is it'll be the same for these people who out, who rooted out silly ideas before. And I'm glad they did. Yep. These people have their silly ideas rooted out too, because because they've gone too far in some things.
0: Well, it, it, yeah, you're right. And it's it, when there's a taste of power too, then you tend to want to solidify your power and you tend not to consider anything that that could challenge that as uh, as legitimate. And so that's where we have have Come to again, where you've got the, the prophets and the priests don't come from the churches and the synagogues and the, and the, the mosques or whatever. They come from the halls of academia. And therefore, if you are, if you are questioning, uh, the, the truth that's being, uh, promulgated from the halls of academia, you are no less a heretic than somebody that questioned the Catholic Church in the 1300s or something like that. So you've got an entire, you, and so there there needs to be a reformation just like the uh, most major religions have gone through reformations where they said eh, this stuff that we think on this particular thing we don't think that's really where we should have been and so we're gonna kind of yeah, you know yeah, uh, yeah. yesterday in our just to be hyper local uh, yesterday was Reformation day of Martin Luther uh, back in 15 something or other nailed his 95 uh, thesis to the to the doors of the Wittenberg Church well so uh, Academia needs a reformation where it really understands its role in in ferreting out and <clears throat> elucidating reality, telling us about reality, allowing yeah. for multiple disciplines to discourse and to uh, disagree with one another because you really can't find truth unless you have disagreement. There's no finding of truth unless you have disagreement. I mean, and this is what then, right. this is how we can see that academia has become more of a sort of a church setting than it has been a place to investigate and discover yeah. new things.
1: Yeah, and and again, my perception as a guy who's never been to college um, was that like people who went to MIT and and Oxford and Harvard went there to be, and they came out very smart, capable people because they were challenged and they had to go through the mental exercises of proving their thesis on things and like and now all by and large that stuff is removed and we we create systems where they're not allowed to be challenged right. and they and they must be protected and they must be kept quote unquote safe is like one of the new four letter words it's <laughs> like you know on the on the altar of the of the new religion is right. keeping people safe, which is the opposite of what Harvard was, I'm or you know, MIT or whatever it was in nineteen seventy eight, I'm guessing. Yep. I don't know, I wasn't there, but but you had to work really hard to prove these things. You couldn't just say them and they just be so because
0: your professor liked that ideology. Right. And that's where that's where this idea of, of safety is safe from competing ideas. And that's where – that's the problem that we've got is we've got a a system that protects people in the university settings to a great extent from competing ideas. Now, the university should be all about competing ideas because you cannot establish truth, again, as I just said, without uh, disagreement. So the safety is actually stifling intellectual pursuit. It's actually stifling uh, – uh, any kind of advancement or or really stifling learning that's again challenge us that's what that's how I learned to get challenged
1: yeah uh, it's funny listening to people who have been to medical school talk about how the doctors treated the people in medical school. they had no time for their crap they had no no time for their opinions they yeah. you shut up and do what you're told it was just vastly different and and you know when we talk about changing values, the values have changed are it used to be. You would roll in there at high school after your cushy life, living at home with mom and dad and playing, you know, golf and the team schools, golf team, whatever. And with the easy life and you walk in the door and your life was changed dramatically. And like you were confronted with things right. and, you, and you left there a capable, sharp person with with great abilities. And and, right. and that I, my perception is that's going away because of safe spaces, and all that kind of stuff, which is, again how we'll end up with these narratives that will be exposed in a few years for being completely ludicrous because they're not founded right. in any kind of, of truth anymore. All right, we're running late on time. Last one, speaking of power and influence, the granddaddy of them all, Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, talk to talk to Kenny G. What, what, is the, what is the change in values like on Wall Street now compared to before?
0: Well certainly I mean there's an, there's an old phrase from the bible the the love of money uh, or or money tends to corrupt the love of money tends to corrupt right so uh it can be the root of many evils and so the the what's happened on Wall Street again is a recognition of not just money but control so yeah it, so essentially, what we've got now is we've got power brokers with so much money that they can work together with government. In a lot of these situ- in a lot of these uh, major corporations, where they can uh, essentially get government to write rules that support the Wall Street company at the same time that the government then uh, protects them from competition so you've got so that 's one of the major problems we have with Wall Street today. The second one is that the people have come out of these college um, uh, You know, sort of indoctrination pieces. Now, again, it's not everybody, but it's a, there's a significant amount have come out with a certain societal viewpoint that says that no longer is the pursuit of profit the most important thing, but the pursuit of societal change is even more important than the pursuit of profit. Well, you, you can only do that for a certain period of time and not have, uh, people who are investing your money come back and say, eh, kind of like that profit thing too. So. There's well, the change. thing that's funny about that, though, is that is the companies that fold because they're not
1: profitable, by and large, have people who got really, really rich rich along the way, yeah, and we're we're not shareholders when the company folded, but we're shareholders right. at the peak, right, right, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And so there's there's they, a they system talk about of, how profit's not a thing, but somehow
0: they the per, the individuals seem to still profit pretty handsomely. <laughs> well, and, and there's a system of perverse incentives in a pseudo capitalist yeah. society. I mean, we're we we're we're people say well you're the this is a problem with capitalism no this is a problem with pseudo capitalism with crony capitalism right. where you can and and it is a problem when you can use when you have got so much money that you can protect yourself from any competi- com- competitive pressures and you essentially uh, have monopolistic power that does become a problem and it becomes a perverse sense of capitalism not real capitalism
1: yeah i i would it would not shock me if I if I were resurrected from the from the dead in the year twenty ninety four and had a conversation with Kenny G and he and he laughs about how quaint it is that governments used to be the most powerful entities on the yep. planet um, because by then businesses may be the mo- like the idea of a company being more powerful than the the Roman Empire is li- is like right. ludicrous a, a company being more uh, powerful than the the British Empire is laughable, uh, even it, as far as like not in Germany, like when it was a yeah. powerhouse, like a company being more powerful, laughable. There are companies now that are, that are more powerful than dozens yes, of countries. Absolutely,
0: Yeah, there's there's <laughs> lots of them. I mean, and there, there's lots of them that have such global reach. There's this, you know, the uh, when you've got such global reach that you can control what entire blocks of people, millions or maybe billions of people can do, then you essentially have the power of government and, and you're outside of the bounds of regulation. Which I think, you know, as we come into the fourth turning and, you know, I've talked
1: about this before, but one of the things I think will happen is we're going to have to address that. And either because the the rules have been written to to keep governments at bay. They have not been written to keep companies at bay and companies as their reach and their influence and their power grows ever more strong every year at some point we're going to either like be <laughs> owned by them or whatever and i don't mean like like literally owned but like owned by them like we can only do certain things and we can only think certain ways we can only buy certain products uh, or we're going to have to address this because the, the The rules were just not written for this this kind of environment, like where where the companies have this amount of power in well, and a
0: lot of that I, I think it is that sort of unholy alliance between major companies and the rule makers in government, and so you 've got uh, you know yeah. it, it, we talked about this in one episode where we talked about how. Everybody at some point in, in, during their day is breaking some law because there's so many laws on the books. Yep. Well, if you write uh, such, if you write the rules, and you can write the rules such that you have to have a team of a hundred lawyers to be able to be compliant with that, you can effectively shut everybody else out of the market because only the super rich, super big right. companies uh, can't afford to do that. So essentially, what will probably eventually have to happen, I would think, if if it if it does is a flattening of all of that, a flattening of what it means to be a company, a flattening of what it means to be the government. So there's not so much of this insane, you know, you, you've got uh, investments happening through derivatives of derivatives of derivatives of derivatives. So, right. you, which is, you know, what right. a, a lot of that had effects on what happened in, in our own financial crisis in 2008, 2009. So there, there's got to be a flattening back to, Basic governance and basic commerce and and basic kind of of capitalism, real capitalism, real capitalism, real government, where there is no longer this unholy relationship between the two and where governments don't have so much money that they can essentially control everything and control everybody. And it then is a perverse incentive for companies to control the governments. So that's, it's become too complex as a monster leviathan. And unless that's all flattened out and become much more simple so that people can compete on the basis of good ideas and people are not competing on the basis of who has the best lobbyists, then, right. you know, then we might have a chance. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and, and hopefully we get back to a place where, The benefit to the consumer is a is a significant part of the equation again. Not how we can steer the consumer, but how we actually benefit the consumer based on what the consumer wants. Right. Uh, Exactly. Back to that. One of the things that stands out to me uh, out of all these five is none of them have to deal personally with the consequences of bad policy.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Regular folks
1: like me and you do. But the but these top five and again if, for those of you listening, this is where we say if we got it wrong, tell us. This is exactly what we're talking about. If you think the top five we mentioned is omitting a major industry or uh, right. uh, <clears throat> um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, institution that's driving yeah. things, tell us. I would love to hear what you think that we missed. And if you think we're explaining yeah. how one of these things is incorrectly, this is exactly what we're talking when we say tell us where we got it wrong. This is where we mean it. If you think we're describing right how wall street is behaving in a way that is wrong. Tell us, I would love to hear your opinion on that. Right. Anyhow, um, these seemingly top five, they're certainly top five out of the top 10, I would say guaranteed for sure. Right. Um, yeah. None of them have to deal personally with the consequence of getting these things wrong. None of them have to have to deal with policies that are, that are harmful to regular folks. None of them have those yeah. worries. They're, they're, all but immune from that because they have such yeah. vast amounts of wealth or or geographic boundaries or other boundaries where they're just not – they're not affected by this stuff, the bad outcomes. I think – I find that really interesting. yeah. The-
0: well, and that's when it becomes so complex and so multi-layered that you can find either you've got a, a scapegoat thirty-four layers down from you that will take the fall for you, yeah. and you can just point to them and then say, "Well, it's 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 their problem," or whether you've got. Uh, a, a government system is set up in such a way that there's le- no legal responsibility. You can, you can do all sorts of things with no legal responsibility. Oh, we're getting sued. Okay. Well, no, you're not getting sued. The taxpayers are getting sued because you're bad decision making, but you have no liability for that. Right. Or you've got so much, so much in terms of. Of legal representation that uh, nobody can ultimately touch you because they'll be tied up in court for 150 years. You know, of course, there are there are cracks in that now. There are some cracks in that. And we see some of that. Uh, But that's that that kind of in uh, in incentive structure to isolate the most powerful from accountability is really is really a big problem and one of the ways that we know that too is if you look at what it costs for instance to run for office yeah <clears throat> yeah you can run for the president of the United States unless you're a rich person or you've got a bunch of rich friends anymore at yeah. all. I mean, yeah. none of our founders. I mean, some of our founders were pretty well off. George Washington was wasn't you know a poor guy. Yeah, but you yeah. know, uh, you couldn't run for office today without having uh, seriously rich friends or being rich yourself.
1: Yeah, or having people who are very rich have a lot of interest in you being in office. <laughs>
0: right. Exactly, and so they can yeah. get the outcomes that they want. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> right.
1: All right, Dave, um, I think we covered that. Uh, yep. We went way over on time, but uh, I think that was good to kind of lay all that out. Again, when we say, tell us where we got it wrong, what we mean is we're talking about how we see the values changing in these, industry, in these industry, industries and institutions from you know how it was to how it is now in this conflict that's resulting. If you think we're describing that wrong, if you think, hey, no, Hollywood's doing this thing different than what you said, or they're not doing the thing you said, we'd love to hear that. Yep. Um, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about we want Kenny G to have a, a full picture of what, we're just, of what we're going through not just me and Dave's perspective but tell us what you're seeing what you're experiencing what you think we got wrong specifically about the things we're talking about um, that's it for this time I think we covered those pretty well so until yep. next time this is Dave and Brian signing off see you next week
0: do you want to be on silent? make your voice heard on our social media channels and share where you think we got it right or wrong. Go to unsilentpodcast.com for social links so you can join the discussion.